0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox.
1: This is Lighthouse Faith Podcast. Moving forward in truth and love, I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel and author of the book, Lighthouse Faith. Well, there's a growing battle within Catholicism, at least that's what the journalists write, and especially after American bishops voted overwhelmingly to create a document on Eucharistic consistency or coherence. And now for those Protestants listening, it may seem like, you know, no big deal. But if you're a Catholic confirmed in the church, this is everything. Um, Reaction from liberal lawmakers proves that Catholic Democrats in Congress issued a statement to bishops accusing them of weaponizing the Eucharist. Um, And I'm going to fill you in on more on that later. Um, But a New York Times article basically blasted the bishops as being purveyors of a conservative movement within American Catholicism, wrangling power away from even Pope Francis. But then there are other commentators saying that with the president of the United States, as arguably the most powerful Catholic outside of the Holy Father in Rome, um, has he's aggressively supported abortion rights and he needs to be dealt with and that bishops have to do something. And so they did. San Francisco's Archbishop, Salvatore cordeleoni is here to explain what the bishops voted for, why the document is important, and what's going to happen over the next few months before the bishops' next meeting in November. And His Excellency joins me now. Welcome, Archbishop.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: It's so wonderful to kind of get you after this uh, the general assembly meeting that the uh, the bishops had. Um, but before we actually get to the document, I'd like to, your reaction um, to Catholic Democrats in Congress who wrote that uh, statement of principles, and they signed by like sixty Democrats who are Catholic. Let me just read you part of this: as as legislators, we too charged we are too charged with being facilitators of the Constitution, which guarantees religious freedom for all Americans. In doing so, we guarantee our right to live our own lives as Catholics, but also foster an American America with a rich diversity of faiths. Okay, I have a few issues with this statement, um, and I'm not even Catholic. Um, first, what's your reaction to this? Well,
2: I wish they would support religious freedom for all. You know, uh, yeah. we, uh, we're constantly in battles uh, to protect our right. To serve the needy all the needy not just catholics but anyone of any faith or no faith but in accordance with the moral principles of our faith so yeah. now we see the little sisters of the poor i guess they're going to be dragged back into court over a contraception mandate yeah <laughs> why so i wish i wish they would take that seriously and guarantee our own uh, religious freedom that's that's one issue i have with it uh another issue they say um Yes, of course, the Constitution guarantees their right all to live their own lives as Catholics, but it's as Catholics is the key here. That uh, Catholics it's, uh, something people don't look at, and I've been trying to get people to look at it. Just is so painful, though, is the very horrendous evil that abortion is. I mean, this this seems to be. There are other issues as well. I just mentioned religious freedom, but it's the abortion issue. It is so evil, you know. We since The Roe decision, they estimate about 66 million babies have been aborted in the United States alone. So 66 million babies murdered in their mother's womb in 50 years. So this isn't just one policy issue among other policy issues. This is something that's very evil. And one cannot live their life as a good Catholic and support anything that's evil, let alone something as horrendously evil as this.
1: You know, you brought up that number, and I think it was very interesting to bring out, you know, Bill at the Catholic League, brought it out because he was blasting against this document as well. I mean, the uh, the Democrats' uh, statement of principles and saying, you know, you know, because they brought up the issue, but many people do, that why aren't you against capital punishment? Of course, the Catholic Church is against, Catholic, um, against capital punishment. But there's a big difference between... Uh, capital punishment and abortion. First of all, abortion has, you know, as you say, more than 60 million lives have been snuffed out. In the same period, he brought up that only 1,500 people uh, have been executed uh, under the capital punishment laws in the same period. So you're talking about 1,500 as opposed to um, over 60 million. And plus the idea is that, you know, when, when you execute somebody, even in a under a legal forum, they're guilty of something. They're guilty of murder. I mean, it's usually not something just a, you know, jaywalking. But when you, in a, when you, when you kill something in the womb, they're guilty of nothing and nothing. So there's a big difference here. And this, the other thing that um, starts, it brings me up, brings up your pastoral letter, because you wrote this letter called, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And this was kind of the big prelude to the the, the bishop's meeting. Why did you write that letter?
2: Yes. Uh, could I just jump on the capital punishment question first? Sure, uh, sure,
1: sure. absolutely. Well, you, made a,
2: you made a good point there, yes, and the sheer numbers of lies. Um, we take a consistent ethic of life, which is why we're opposed to capital push. I, I believe it should be abolished. But it's not, you're right, it's not quite the same thing. Uh, it's not what we call an intrinsic evil. That is something that's evil always, all the time, as killing an innocent human life. But there are
0: mm-hmm.
2: there are serious problems with it. That when we critique it, what, one thing is that, well, what if it's a wrongful conviction? You know, and the person right, actually wasn't right. guilty of the crime. There's no way to make reparation. That that's the biggest problem. There are many other problems as well. And since society can adequately protect itself. With life imprisonment without the possibility of parole, uh, we believe that's a more life affirming way to deal with someone who's committed a heinous crime. But uh, about this pastoral letter, um, which uh, which f- focuses on the particular issue of abortion, I said there are many major issues we're dealing with. Uh, uh, well, you know, I'm in San Francisco. San Francisco is a very secularized city, and uh, there's a lot of confusion in people's minds about this issue and about the church's understanding of it and approach to it. And uh, so I've had it in my mind for quite some time to somehow do something or say something to help help better form my people in their faith and help them form their consciences better around this. And I was trying to deliberate what the best thing would be to do. So it was probably it was probably over a year ago now that I had got the idea to write a pastoral letter along this line um, because to, first of all, uh, speak about the issue of abortion itself and begin with science, right? We're all supposed to like science and follow the science. So that's why I begin by explaining just biologically what happens in an abortion. Uh, again, it's it, we constantly look away because uh, to look at it is very painful when we recognize how evil it is. And I, but I also wanted to uh, address the issue of uh, the mother who often has no choice, even though they say they were supposed to be for choice. Women say, I've heard women say that they felt like they had no choice. So the scars that it leaves with not only the mother, but all others in her network of relationships that are affected by that, and a perspective on the law, and then the church's approach to that. Then um, when it comes to... Um, People, if, this, if they're, especially if they're in public life and they're advocating for something that's wrong, is that in a sinful situation or not? That's why I had to explain this in the second chapter uh, or section about uh, cooperation. So, talk about this formal cooperation with evil and uh, material cooperation with evil. These are technical distinctions in our, our moral theology, but it's important for Catholics to understand. Uh, for example, the question is coming now with the vaccines. Uh, or is it morally licit to receive the vaccine or not? This, so this is where an example where these distinctions are very important. And then, uh, then the other thing that oh, I realize many Catholics don't understand is, uh, as you said at the beginning, uh, the Catholic understanding of Holy Communion. This is, this, is, this is the core element of our faith. So most Protestants understand Communion as table fellowship. That it's far more than that for us as catholics you know we have the belief in the real presence that's truly the body and blood of christ it's substantially changed the bread and wine into his body and his blood and one must be properly disposed to receive holy communion that is free from any serious sin And if they've committed a serious sin as catholics we're blessed to have that that other sacrament of of uh, penance so they can go to confession Uh, receive the absolution and the sacrament to return to what we call a state of grace where they're properly disposed to receive Holy Communion. And then the special responsibility of Catholics in public life to give a faithful witness to the values of our faith. It's not, it's not a matter of imposing one's religion on others. Uh, You know, six of the ten or seven of the ten commandments uh, as catholics list the ten commandments seven of those ten commandments are about basic morality in terms of human relationships so they're not really confined to a religious doctrine and our, our laws are morally based right murder is wrong arson is wrong embezzlement is wrong uh, those are moral issues so uh so catholics have to uh give a faithful witness to these values um that are part of what we call the natural moral law. It's something we don't need to be enlightened by faith to understand what's right and wrong at that level. So I, I felt the need to issue this teaching document to help my people better understand these issues and um, be better, better formed in their faith and in their
1: consciences. Um, you were talking about the Eucharist which, and the Catholics believe that it's the real presence of the body and blood of Christ. And that's a big difference from what most Protestants believe, which is, You know, it it is a communal table of sharing um, the representative of the body and blood of Christ. I I can't explain it any better shorthanded than that. I know that many theological experts will will come down on me about how I'm explaining it, but that's kind of the the basics of it. Um, But... um, one of the things the Pew survey, the 2019 Pew survey brought out is that a third of only the third of the Catholics actually understand that to be the the, the, the the actual presence of the body and blood of Christ a third, which means two thirds of Catholics, you know, lay Catholics, run of the mill, faithful don't believe in the real presence of Christ. I would think that's a major problem within Catholicism.
2: You're absolutely right. It is a major problem and it's, it's very concerning to us bishops. Um, we've, in addition to this uh, document about uh, Eucharistic consistency or coherence, as you correctly said, uh, we have another initiative we're calling Eucharistic Revival to try to revive people's faith in the Eucharist. And it's at the very early planning stages, but uh, we plan to coordinate something nationally, beginning at the local level and then culminating at a big uh, national event
1: to mm-hmm. try to,
2: to bring people back to their, this core, this core teaching of our faith that really defines who we are as Catholics.
1: Yeah. You know, one of the things that was caught, caught me by the Democrats letter, and I hate to harp on this, but I think it's a very interesting thing because I think it just shows you kind of where so many Catholics are and Catholics in power are um, this idea that, and they, they said something about the Catholics Catholicism, our tradition. I mean, it's like, wait a second, Catholic traditions. I mean, like wearing white at Wimbledon, is it, you know, is, is that's what you look at. I mean, you know, And it it is not like a sacred faith. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, who's at fault here when lay Catholics and powerful Catholics, not just, you know, you know, the Catholics who, you know, show up to church once a month or so, or, you know, who don't really profess their faith or whatever, Catholics in name only, I don't know how you want to define them, but who's at fault here when you say Catholic tradition instead of the Catholic faith, you know, the foundation, what's going on here?
2: Well, well, actually, the word tradition has a specific meaning in our Catholic theology. So we believe God reveals his truth. And this is one of the fundamental differences between Catholics and Protestants. We believe God reveals his truth to us through Scripture and what we call tradition. So for Protestants, of Mm -hmm. course, it's Scripture alone. Tradition is the... Authentic teaching of the church, what we call the magisterium. So, when the church pronounces on defining uh, a truth of our faith at, a, at an ecumenical council or twice it's happened by a proclamation of, of the Pope, um, that uh, it defines, so, for example, um, the definition of Christ is um, one person with two natures. Okay, we don't find that in the Bible. It's a core Christian belief. We all share that in common, but it was defined at an ecumenical council. So this is what we mean by tradition. And uh, in a sense, we see the Bible as kind of fitting in with this tradition. The Bible with the New Testament is really the record of faith of the first Christians. And, uh, you know, the apostles were there with our Lord for three years. They remembered his teachings. They saw what he did. And then they started preaching about it. Some decades later, it started to become written down. So tradition does have, this uh, technical meaning in
1: yeah in i mean okay so i'm gonna walk back that comment but at the same time i do think when they say tradition they really don't understand catholic tradition i think they m- more understand it from a secular kind of understanding of de- defining that word um this word that, tradition
2: is it commonly used i mean by everyone in um uh, to refer to religions right i mm-hmm. you, you hear that said now um You know, the, you know, the Lutheran tradition, the Buddhist tradition, you know, Mm -hmm. the the Baptist tradition. It's uh, the word is often used in that sense as well.
1: Yeah. I want to move on to the document and I want to check my time here, too. Um, Why don't we take a break right now here on Lighthouse Faith um, Podcast? We'll be right back with Archbishop Salvatore uh, Cardiglione of San Francisco. We'll be right back here on Lighthouse Faith Podcast.
0: Did you know that every major diaper company either financially or vocally supports abortion? If that appalls you and you're looking to support a baby brand that aligns with your pro-life, pro-family views, then Every Life is your solution. Every Life firmly believes that regardless of where someone is from, what they look like, or whether they were planned or unplanned, every baby is a miracle from God worthy of love, protection, and celebration. Every Life offers high-performing, supremely soft, premium diapers and wipes delivered right to your doorstep. Their diapers are crafted without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And you can feel good knowing that every purchase with Every Life contributes to changing lives through their support of pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers. Every Life is not just changing diapers, they're changing lives. Visit everylife.com to learn more. That's everylife.com. And don't forget to use promo code Duffy10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today.
1: And we are back now from Lighthouse Faith podcast with Archbishop Salvatore Cordeleone of San Francisco. And I've got to bring out, of course, that your district, your archdiocese, also is over House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. And I have imagined that you two have, have not seen eye to eye um, ever on a lot of stuff.
2: Well, uh, on a lot of things, but not everything.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so the document, the document that has been the controversial debate for the last few weeks has been over this document that the bishops last week voted to, uh, create. What is the document they're actually creating? What's it going to do?
2: So this document will be one that will present, um, the Catholic teaching on, on this, what we call the Eucharistic coherence. Now we get this so that means what I was explaining earlier that about being properly disposed to receive Holy communion, the yes. phrase uh, we lift from a document of the Latin American bishops at a meeting they had in the Brazil in 2007, it was like a this uh, sort of mega summit for their, for their pastoral planning of, of the whole continent.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: There's a section in there that speaks about this and, uh, it mentions specifically legislators, other government officials, and healthcare professionals that they have to give a consistent witness. They cannot promote or, or do anything that is evil. And it mentions specifically abortion and euthanasia as two examples. It says, and there are others, but it specifically mentions those as examples,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and that if they imbo- involved in that at all they are not to present themselves for communion because there has to be and they use this phrase uh, a, a eucharistic coherence
1: yeah
2: now one of the main authors of that uh, document was the archbishop of buenos Aires at the time who was jorge bergoglio
1: oh now Mar- francis. francis yes
2: <laughs> yeah. so um this talk about the u.s bishops are out of line with Pope Francis I, I don't know where people are getting this they I think they're making things up in their mind or they they might lift some comments that he makes or and and then try to use them this is a weaponization here right use them against us
1: yeah yeah, yeah uh, is, I, I, on, on the, that on that point though only I have to say that the, one of the articles that came out talked about uh, the, the Pope Francis's silence on your vote is deafening kind of thing the idea Um And so they're implying that Pope Francis is not agreeing with you on this. Well, Francis
2: has been silent on every vote of our Episcopal conference and silent on every vote of every Episcopal conference in the world. It's not the Pope's, the Pope can't be uh, 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 convalidating or or verifying the vote of Mm -hmm. Episcopal conferences throughout every country as a conference of bishops. So it's, it's not something that we would expect him to do.
1: Right, right. So this document is basically based on a document that Pope Francis was part of.
2: Well, we, 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 get, we get the phrase from there. And I uh, uh, but I bring that up because that's where we get the phrase from. And to show that this document is presenting the teaching of our church that goes back to the very beginning. Even St. Paul speaks about that. Uh, to receive the body and blood unworthily, one brings condemnation upon oneself. And so it's been the consistent teaching of our church from the very beginning. So this, in a sense, there will be nothing new. Uh, What the newness of it will be uh, kind of a more theologically comprehensive uh, and and rich presentation of our church teaching as the Eucharist as a mystery to be celebrated and, and a mystery to be lived. Uh, mm-hmm. So it'll be, uh, it'll be a more, I think, complete and comprehensive presentation of that. So it can serve as a resource for bishops to use in teaching about it and and guiding their own deliberations on how to promote the church's teaching and and um, and guide them on on the church's discipline.
1: A lot of people brought up the 2004 letter that um, then Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, who later became Pope Benedict, on the 16th, he wrote to the bishops um, talking about how you should handle that sort of thing is to talk with the, the, you know, the politician or the person and, and, and really uh, let them understand where they are um, not following along with the Catholic teaching on the issue of, of who's fit to you know, take communion. Why isn't that more the document to be looked at? Why do you need another document?
2: Uh, that letter was uh, to guide. Uh, so back in 2004, we were having this same discussion because uh, John Kerry, another Catholic Democrat who um, favors abortion or keeping it legal anyway and, uh, and easily accessible. Uh, so we were having that discussion. And uh, the point of Cardinal Ratzinger's letter was to guide us in, in how to address This issue. It wasn't a a theological document like we're issuing here. What happened back then is um, he wrote this letter for the U.S. bishops. He gave it to the then Cardinal McCarrick, who he didn't want this conversation to take place. So he withheld the the letter from us. It wasn't until much later that we discovered that uh, Cardinal Ronziker had issued this letter. And uh, now uh, much attention has been given to the letter of Cardinal Ladaria, Cardinal Ratzinger's successor as the head of the Doctrine Office in the Vatican, yeah. Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith is called. Yeah, you know, I've I've had people write me and, and uh, lambaste me for contradicting what Pope Francis told us, that we shouldn't do this. Mm. Pope Francis never said anything about it. Cardinal Ladaria did, and his letter is also being spun into uh, as if it said that we should not go forward with this. He was... Uh, urging some caution. He was urging us to try to build up unity, especially if we were looking to establish a national policy, which we're not going to do. But Mm -hmm. at the beginning of his letter, he cites the letter of Cardinal Ratzinger and tells us to use the principles from that letter to guide us in writing our own document. And it says exactly as you said. He says these conversations have to take place. And and also in that letter, he says, uh, grave evils, also there he mentions the two examples of abortion and euthanasia, because these are the ones that are most being promoted. Uh, I don't find any Catholic, le- a- any legislator trying to legalize human trafficking, for example.
1: Right, <laughs> That's right.
2: another very serious evil. So uh, these conversations have to take place to try to move them to a change of heart, but if that's not possible after many attempts, then the person is not to be admitted to communion, which is following the church's discipline and our own canon law. So Cardinal Watzinger says that, it's, it's kind of sound pastoral advice, makes a lot of sense. Cardinal Lodaria told us to use the principles of that letter in guiding us in writing our own document.
1: Now, I don't know if if, um, if President Biden has presented himself for communion um, with under uh, Cardinal uh, Wilton Gregory in D.C., but Cardinal um, Gregory came has come out and said that he would not deny him communion. But one of the issues has to be, it's like that, Biden has not gone softer on his issues about, on his feelings about abortions, on his stance on abortion on his legislation that he's promoting on abortion. He's actually gotten more aggressive on it. So, and he's in, what is in his seventies now? I mean, how many conversations have priests ever had with him? And at some point, I mean, what do you do? Um, What I mean, do you? I mean, I obviously I'm not privy to the conversations that you know the cardinalist has had with parishioners or with people under his jurisdiction. But what is the reasoning behind that? Do you have any idea?
2: Well, this is where we have some differences of opinion, and I think there's room for differences of opinion when it comes to uh, applying the teaching and the discipline. So, even the then Cardinal McCarrick, even though he didn't. Want that decision to discussion go forward? Even he would say repeatedly, we are united on our teaching.
1: Mm-hmm. So I hope all
2: bishops are united on on the teaching that um, these people, if you're if you're cooperating formally, uh, helping it to happen with a very grave evil, that they should not present themselves for communion. Then the question is, well, what do you do if they do present themselves for communion? And that this is where it gets very complex. I mean, what is going to be the fallout? Um, how is it going to drive people away? Is it going to create uh, a lot of disruption and disunity? Uh, is it going to harm us in other ways by retaliation from the government or government officials? Uh, it's it's a very delicate question. And that, that that is where we do have some differences of opinion, uh, if and when and how to apply that kind of discipline.
1: Um, yeah. I when. Uh... A reporter asked uh, President Biden, I guess, on Friday after the vote came down, um, you know, what he thought about the vote or what the bishops did about the document. He just said he, you know, that's a private matter. So he's not willing to discuss that as part of his faith, at at least in public. But he has come out and said that his Catholic faith is very important to him. So uh, would you consider him a good Catholic?
2: Yes, that's a good question. Well, I mentioned earlier about the little sisters of the poor, and mm-hmm. uh, what I read, what I hear, is he's going to bring back that lawsuit and dra- drag them back into court over a contraception mandate. You know, that's something I would expect from someone who's anti-Catholic, not someone yeah. who professes to be a devout Catholic. S- so to me, it's very puzzling.
1: So I mean, that's the thing. It's you know, I'm, and I've heard people say this about. President Biden. Just because you're carrying a rosary doesn't mean you're a good Catholic. I mean, would, I mean, I know you don't want to tell, you want, want to say really point blank, you don't consider and be a good Catholic, or you do consider and be a good Catholic. But I think that you and uh, there were the bishops and President Biden are really on a collision course. I mean, majorly. Um, where do you think this is going to end?
2: Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I. I... I'm a little hesitant to, to speculate.
1: Yeah. and
2: But I, I mean, I believe at the level of his affection, he is, his Catholic faith is important to him. And I'm sure it helped him get through some, he's suffered some terrible personal tragedies in life. And I'm sure his help, faith helped him to get through that. But there's this disconnect with applying the values of our faith, respecting basic values and dignity of human life at all stages. And, and basic religious freedom there's seems to be a a disconnect there it's Hmm. hard for me to understand
1: and he's not alone i mean many catholics are like this or many many people of faith are like this they have a bifurcated life they have one kind of life or a tradition sort of a a faith tradition over here and then one there's a big wall that stands in between you know with what how they do their work how they vote how they um you know, live their lives. It's, it's a real disconnect. Maybe a lot of people are like that. That's why, you know, Gunn calls us sinners saved by grace. We're not, you know, these sort of perfect beings walking around, but, but, but there is, this, um, one of the um, stories out there is that, um, that this vote for this document is, it as uh, a power grab by the American bishops because P- President Biden is arguably the most powerful Catholic um, in the world. Did, uh, other than the Holy Father, um, and so is this a power grab? Because there was the, the I think the New York Times article said that neither you know Pope Francis or Joe Biden are running the church. It's these conservative uh, bishops in America that are trying to make a power grab. What do you say to that?
2: What makes us conservative?
1: Yeah, I, yeah well, that's, that's a good question a, right there. But I mean, we're I mean, I mean.
2: opposed to the slaughter of sixty-six million babies in their mother's womb. That yeah. we're opposed to something as evil as this. That's what's making us conservative. Come on. Everyone should be on board with this. And I've often said they call us anti-abortion, and we are because we're against killing innocent human beings. But it comes out of being pro-life. To be pro-life is more than being against abortion because, well, I mentioned earlier, so often women, they don't have a choice. They're stranded. They're in this crisis. And the answer is not killing their baby. The answer is not violence, it's love. She needs to be surrounded by love and support, all the support she needs to make the happy decision to bring this baby to birth. And I'm so proud of our Catholic people. I'm sure there are people of other faiths, but I know our Catholic people are running uh, uh, these clinics for women in that situation, giving them, Mm -hmm. it's not just medical care, but a wraparound care that she needs. So that's the response. The response is love. Not violence.
1: Yeah, that, that's
2: what it means to be pro-life.
1: Is there an internal war going on with the bishops? I mean, I, it's not really over abortion. No bishop that I've ever heard is for abortion. That's not even the issue. It's how do you, you know, deal with the politicians and people that don't understand what the Eucharist is all about and and, and go up to Holy Communion, take it without understanding the the the, the
0: yeah. The
2: so the so the so our people are scandalized. Our people are confused. People mm-hmm. sometimes ask me, can you be a good Catholic in favor of abortion? That already tells you our people are confused. Yeah, We are scandalized by this. We can't be silent. As people are scandalized, people are confused. They're being led into error. Uh, our, our role is to, I mean, we're shepherds, right? Pastors are shepherds. We're supposed to protect the flock and and guide them on the path to greener pastures, the deeper life in Christ. With all its truth, beauty, and goodness, so we can't just be silent. We have to say something. We have to do something to guide our people on the right path to the path that goes to heaven.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, very quickly, or as long as you want, actually. Uh, what will happen now over the over the next few months as the bishops, the on the committee, form this letter? What's going on? Uh,
2: yeah, very good question. So we'll go the usual route when uh, the whole a conference of bishops uh, issues a document it's a very thorough consultation and vetting process so the doctrine committee so because it, it's a doctrinal matter they write they write the first draft of this then they send it to other pertinent committees for their view on it uh, like we have a canonical affairs committee so canon law is also a factor and they'll send it I'm sure they'll send it send it to the respect life committee and and others And then they make observations. And then it goes back to the doctrine committee, and then they make revisions. Then the draft is posted on a website for bishops to access in advance of the November meeting. And by a certain deadline, bishops can submit suggestions for changes. Those are called modifications. So this is the modification process. Then the the committee will receive those suggestions, review them. Some they'll accept, others they'll reject. Some they'll accept, but they'll modify that. And then the next to final draft is made available to the bishops at the actual meeting in November. And it will be presented by the chairman of the committee. This is Bishop Rhodes. And then bishops can ask questions for clarification. And then by the end of the day, they can submit more suggestions for changes. That's called amendments. So that's the amendment process. And so the committee will receive those, meet in the evening, review them. Again, some reject, some accept, some they'll accept, but maybe with some modification. And then that revised final draft is made available uh, to the bishops in the morning. And then there is a debate and a vote. And it's possible for bishops to ask reconsideration of amendments that have been rejected, or even for that matter, if they've been accepted, but with modifications. Uh, so then and then there's a motion and each of those is voted on whether to ex- uh, accept it or not. And then the whole document goes up for a vote. So it's a very thorough consult. And that's why it takes so much time, because it's a it's a document of the whole conference of bishops. So all bishops have to have an opportunity to weigh in on it.
1: Yeah. yeah. I had to laugh, actually, when some one or two bishops said they were accusing everybody of trying to put it on the fast track. And it's like, what? <laughs> <That's-> <laughs> I don't think you do anything fast. Um, <laughs> <No>. <laughs>
0: um,
1: um, Your Excellency, thank you so much for being on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. This has been a really wonderful opportunity to kind of hash out what's really going on within the Catholic Church. And I'm sure we'll have more conversations. And I'd love to have you back maybe at the end of summer, or beginning of fall, to talk about where you guys are um, formulating this document. Uh,
2: I would love that. Thank you for having me. Thank I you. A really enjoyed our conversation.
1: Great. Thank you so much. And thank you all for listening to Lighthouse Faith Podcast. I'm Lauren Green. Have a blessed day.